morning, everybody. Is that coming through? Good morning, everybody. Is that coming through, Wes? Yeah, okay. Just my ears that aren't working. Hey, I want to explain something to you. Grab your Bibles, if you have one. Use an app, if you have to. Or just listen. I want to show you something out of the book of Matthew, and I want to explain something to you. It says here in Matthew 1.23, give you a second to get there. This is not part of the sermon, by the way. I just want to explain something, and then we'll get on with business here, okay? It says, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. I wanted to explain that that's what Emmanuel means. If you go into a mall somewhere, and, and sometimes you'll see this or it's on a sign somewhere, or maybe you'll hear it on the radio or something, you talk, think about, or maybe there's churches that go by that name, Emmanuel. That's what it means. It's one of the names for Jesus. And his name, he is also called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Here's the cool thing. Before he left the earth, almost 2,000 years, years ago, he said that I'm going to be with you always to the very end of the age. That means to the very end of time until he comes back again. And we live in that time. And so he's still Emmanuel. You guys with me on that? He's still with us today. And, and not just in a way that, oh, we just think God's here or whatever. No, you can actually feel his presence here. And I just want to point out that if you came in here today and... If, if you're trying to figure out what it is that you noticed about this building, because this building, there's actually nothing special about this building, and all of the people here are, are, are broken people, actually, who are very imperfect. But if you notice that in this place that there is a calmness or a, uh, a, almost feels like it would be a safe place to come, that, whatever you're feeling there, I don't, it's t sometimes tough to describe, but that's actually Emmanuel. And you can actually tell when you're in his presence, and he's always with us. Let's just pray. Jesus, just love you, and Lord, sometimes in our, kind of our finite minds, it's sometimes hard to describe how good you are. And so that's why, as someone mentioned earlier this morning, it's so good that you have given us the opportunity to sing praises to you and pray, and just you've given us your word and recorded in scripture. It is just so good that we can then use those means to um, respond to you. I thank you for that opportunity, Jesus. And I just pray, as we often do, I just pray that right now you would come, Lord, in a way, we, we, we know that you're omnipresent and that you're everywhere all over the world at the same time. We know that. But we desire for your manifested presence to come right here, right now. And open up our minds so that we would be able to understand some things from Scripture. And that we would be able to build our lives then based on that truth. In your precious and holy name, Jesus, we pray. And anyone who agrees with that said, Amen. Last week, we talked about how love for Jesus and obedience to Jesus, they're synonymous. We talked about the temporary nature of storms. We talked about the power of weakness because it reveals Jesus. And that's the reason that we celebrate the cross. Amen? You'll notice that 
Christians celebrate the cross a lot. It used to be a symbol of shame, but now we celebrate it because that's where we actually see the treasure of Jesus shining through in our lives, even in our weakness, because of who he is. Last week, we talked about kintsugi, and if you don't remember what that was, you'd have to go back to listen to that. But we also used the example of the Apostle Paul and how his life got flipped upside down. And he was a very religious man, but it got flipped upside down when he got to know Jesus. And then what used to be profit in his life became loss, right? And what used to have been loss became profit, actually, for him. And then we talked a little bit about Open the Door, that evening that we hosted, like last Sunday, we said it was going to be on Saturday, which means it was yesterday. You guys are just as smart as me. And so, I want to tell you, oh, I was going to say I want to tell you a little bit about that. I want to tell you a lot about that, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about that in a few minutes. But I want to start this message that we're doing. We're doing a series of messages on the book of John in the Bible. We're on part 129. Just kidding. It's part 29, but it's, we've been here for a while, right? <laughs> and... Um, the passage we want to read today, it's one of those passages that could have like 20 points that you could just expound it and just pull out. There's so much good stuff in there. And a lot of it would just confirm the things that we've been learning in the last bunch of weeks. And uh, you'd be able to look at this and go, aha, see what we said back there is true. Oh yeah, here's another one. That, that confirms this. And it would just go over and over like that. In fact, this last week as I was praying through and reading the Bible and just asking Jesus, what would you have for us today? I wrote a lot of pages of notes, and there's some good stuff in there. All deleted. I'm serious. I don't even know if it's ever going to get used in a sermon. Maybe that was just for me. And I feel like the Lord just wants us to park on, on two very, very simple truths. And so we're going to simplify it at the risk of missing out on some things. We're going to simplify it down to this little, this is a map of the sermon, actually. And we're going to, there's two aspects of the Christian life that we should be growing in. Aspect number one is to abide, remain, or menno. And if you're new to Pansy Chapel, a couple weeks ago, that word menno is a Greek word, actually, and it means to abide or remain. Okay? We just like using it because it sounds a little bit like Mennonite. It has nothing to do with Mennonites, but kind of fun saying that word anyway so but there's an aspect abiding and remaining is essentially in being in this place where God's word Jesus's words remain in me and I actually depend on them and live in them and my life becomes transformed by them that's what is happening there and through reading the Bible and through prayer I actually live out a life with Jesus and then number two that doesn't, it's not just for me. I, my life changes, but I also begin to bear fruit. And that fruit is, you can call it a couple different things. Fruit of the Spirit, or putting on the new you, we've sometimes called it, or growing in godly character. All refers to the same thing, but my character, things like my patience and self-control, and my love and joy, and, and so on, they begin to become a little bit more like God's character. And so that's something that grows, but who's the growing happening in? It's happening in me, right? And that's actually God's design. But there's also another aspect of bearing fruit that you cannot ignore, which is multiplication. 
And in, in Christian terms, we would call that making disciples. And that's a little bit, it's very simple. It's, it's fruit. If you imagine, uh, if you have an apple tree that has a branch, you with me? And if it's a healthy apple tree, what's hanging at the end of the branch? An apple. <laughs> and if the apple would fall to the ground and get buried with a little bit of dirt, you would add some water and some sunlight, what would happen eventually? Maybe next year or whatever? You're going to have another one of the same kind. That is expected. That's how God expects Christians to live too. It's called making disciples. You're making more of the same kind. And, if, and to know if you're a disciple or not means are you making more disciples? That's a significant part of bearing fruit. There's something that happens in me, but it's not only in me. We would be making a mistake. We thought it was only for us. It's also to spill into other people and make more disciples. Here's what we realize. In this passage of Scripture, we're going to realize that, and I purposely made it green and blue because I'm actually going to take some of the words in Scripture and also make them green and blue so that you'll realize they're really overlapped quite a bit because there's a spillover effect. When I abide and remain in Jesus and His words remain in me, you know what that naturally does? That fills me with this life that wants to bear fruit. And part of that fruit is not only going to affect me, but it's going to affect other people. And there's also a spillover effect there, because if you're bearing fruit, if you're healthy, a healthy Christian cannot only bear fruit in themselves, they actually, they have to go tell other people. There's even a spillover effect there. Those are not separated. You can't actually separate any of that in a healthy Christian's life. Does that make sense? This is the whole sermon right here. You could just leave right now and you already got it. Okay? Let's just read this out of Scripture, and then you'll see what, I'm, what I mean. John 15, we're going to read the first 17 verses. This is what it says. I am the true vine. By the way, this entire passage, if you were reading it in your Bible, would all be in red letters. Why? Because Jesus said it. I am taking the liberty to change the colors there. And of course, if, when we get to the yellows, you could read those yellows with me. That would just be fun. And, but if they're blue, it actually refers to the fruit. But if they're green, it refers to that abiding and remaining in Jesus. And you're going to see that they're actually so closely connected, it's tough to separate those two, actually. I am the true vine, Jesus said, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. So you already see there's this business about we're supposed to bear fruit. In fact... The Father's going to cut off the branch if it doesn't bear fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And that pruning nature has to do with Him in a personal relationship with you that He is actually working in your life. First of all, this concept that the branches could be cut off ought to wake up something in us that I would describe as a very genuine fear of the Lord, that we would not become arrogant in our salvation. Having an assurance that you are saved and will go to heaven when you die is promised in Scripture. And you can have absolute confidence and certainty of it. But it's conditional upon perseverance. It's conditional upon how you finish. It's promised to overcomers. Those who finish the race. 
And so that wakes up in us a little bit of fear and trembling. You with me? The pruning that he's talking about here, even branches that are plugged into Jesus, even those get pruned a little bit. And that's, how would you feel if you were a branch getting pruned? Do you think that's comfortable? It's uncomfortable. It reminds me actually of the Lord's discipline. He disciplines everyone that he accepts as a son or a daughter. He disciplines those that he loves. Not because he is mean or harmful or vindictive in any way. But he knows what's good for us. And he has all of eternity in mind for us. That's where that pruning comes from. And he wants us to be fruitful. Amen? And that fruit is partly for us that we grow in abiding in him and growing in his character. But it's not just for us. It's actually supposed to spill into more fruit to multiply. Christians would call that disciple making. Verse 3, you're already clean, Jesus said, because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me. There's that word remain, which is a, a, that word means abide. And it also means, in, in Greek, it's called meno. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit. Now we're back to the fruit. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit, talking about the end of the branch, unless you remain in me. Right? So can you guys see the picture of this branch? On one aspect, we as Christians, we're like this branch that's plugged into the vine. That's really important. Amen? But if we're actually plugged into the vine, what should be hanging at the end of the branch? Fruit. If there's no fruit, you've got to wonder, am I even plugged in? And if I'm plugged in, there's going to be fruit. That's what Jesus said. I am the vine, he said in verse 5. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And this is the tough part of this. I've made you are the branches green. Because clearly, if we're a branch, we're connected to him. That's this close relationship with Jesus we have. But really, it could have made it blue. Because actually, the branch is designed to bear fruit. Right? Do you see what I mean? Those two actually are closely connected. Let's read verse 6. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withered. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Do you recognize that Jesus uses pretty straightforward language? If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Those are bold words of Jesus. And sometimes in our selfishness, we might think, what do I have to do to have just to be able to pray and I could just have whatever I wish? Hey? Doesn't that sound good? And we're like, yes, Jesus, I want that. Right? But we're actually a little bit selfish, and so it's the wrong question to ask, actually. That question doesn't reflect what Jesus is saying here, actually. Because that kind of a question, then we start thinking, okay, well, then what do I have to, uh, how do I achieve this with uh, very righteous living or very enough good works or enough Bible knowledge or enough memory or whatever, all of which are good things. But we, we start trying to earn it. And Jesus is actually pointing to something else here. He's pointing to a relational closeness with Jesus where his desires become my desires. 
and I begin to want what he wants so that I can have whatever he wants. And so a better question becomes, in response to what he says here, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you, a better question is, Jesus, how can I grow into this kind of closeness with you? Let's keep reading. Verse 8. He says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is one of the ways you can identify a disciple if there's fruit in their life. If you can see that person's life has changed because they met Jesus, that's actually a way you can see who are disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Do you know that Jesus loves you? Like he was willing to let go of his status as God to come down, humble himself to be a human and then publicly let himself be tortured, shamed, mocked, ridiculed and abandoned and betrayed because he loves us. That's what you get to experience when you're plugged into divine, as it were. And then he says, if you keep my commands, that obedience is part of the fruit. You will remain in my love. That's from being connected to the vine. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that in me, sorry, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy, that's one of, that's a, Part of the fruit may be complete. My command is this. Love each other. That's another part of the fruit. As I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. To lay down one's life for one's friends. Again, that's part of the fruit. But not just for you. It's for other people. You are my friends, Jesus says. That's part of connecting right into the vine. If you do what I command. And that's part of the fruit. Verse 15, he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, which is part of the reward of being plugged into the vine. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will what? Fruit that will last and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And if you're not sure what it means to ask whatever you want in Jesus' name, and he'll give it to you, you just have to go back and listen to few, part 27, we talked about that. And this is my command, love each other. And there you have some more fruit. Do you see how abiding in Jesus is very, very closely connected to bearing fruit? Do you see how neglecting one will affect the other? Do you see that? You guys, are, you guys are being a little quiet, and I'm beginning to wonder if this was not working, but hey. Do you guys see it? Those two are very, very closely connected. Last night, we had our Pansy Chapel's first open-the-door evening here in church. And that is a high point in my Christian walk. For me to be able to participate and even get to they have the privilege to lead an evening like that 
was a really high point in my Christian walk when I get to do that with my brothers and sisters and we get to taste and see how good the Lord is. Like, this is so good for me that I, I was telling someone yesterday, I, I almost feel like I, I just want to crawl out of my skin. It's so good. I just don't even know, I don't know how to contain it. I can't. But here's the problem. If I just tell you stories of the victories and stories of the success stories and if that's on the, on the high points, if I just tell you those kinds of stories, I think some of you are going to be discouraged if you're not on that place. Because at some point, we all have failures in our life. That's a reality. And so this morning... <laughs> I'm going to just share some of my failures. It's just going to get real. Not because the Lord hasn't done awesome things yesterday and ongoing, but it's just a reality. If you're like me, we fail. I'm 46 years old, and I want to talk about the first 35 years of my life. I was a steadfast Christian and grew up in a Christian home, went to church every Sunday, often attended small group meetings during the week, and started <laughs> many Bible reading plans, but usually it fizzled out. I knew a few verses by memory thanks to my faithful youth leader, and I was never very rebellious, even in my teenage years. I volunteered in just about every possible role in the church. And for many years, I made it my goal. I consciously made it my goal to demonstrate that you can be a Christian and not commit the obvious sins that people often think of when they think of sins. You can be a Christian and not commit those sins and still have fun. That was my goal. Amen? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I tried to do that as a Bible camp counselor in my cabin. Those kids are going to know. As a Sunday school teacher here in the church, as a youth leader, I loved games and movies. And so I looked for ways to incorporate, in, incorporate uh, games and movies into all of these areas of ministry. It doesn't sound so bad, does it? The reality is that things like games or movies, and you can fill in the blank, there's a lot of other things like your phone or work or any other good thing that isn't necessarily sin in of itself. If you become addicted to them or if they begin to limit your full surrender to Jesus, they become wrong. Having fun isn't sinful. Amen? Come on, give me an amen for that. Ha having fun isn't sinful. But if Jesus asks me to do something and I don't want to do it because it's not fun, then I've made having fun my idol. And it actually interferes with my full surrender to Jesus. Anyway, my walk with Jesus wasn't all bad. I had a chance to plant some seeds uh, for him. And I never walked away from God. But I shudder to think how few disciples 
I will have made during those years. And I wonder, did the kids in my cabin at camp, did the kids in my Sunday school class, did the kids in my youth group, did they become disciple makers as a result of my ministry? Or did they just learn to have clean fun? These years were not entirely wasted, but they lacked intentionality and passion for Jesus. But more importantly, they lacked the source that produces intentionality and passion for Jesus. My Christian life was very mechanical and religious. And if you, for instance, if you had asked me about my prayer life back then, it was almost non-existent. I would pray before meals, maybe a reluctant prayer before bed. My Bible reading, much the same. I tried, but it always felt flat, forced, and usually fizzled out. Those years of my life lacked this menowing, this abiding and remaining, that close relationship with Jesus, which is something that began actually kind of suddenly, took a sudden change in January 2010, and I came to a point in my life where, in faith, although I was a little skeptical, got on my knees, confessed my pride, and in humility, I asked the Lord to speak to me, and he sure did. And I want to tell you, there are still quiet times and dry times in my life, but there is a vibrancy, a vibrant life with Jesus that I get to walk in right now that inspires me to connect with him in prayer. I love praying. Love it. I can pray for an hour, and I'm not telling you, oh, wow, look at him. He can pray for an hour. No, it is so good to be there. And I used to not have that. 20 years ago, you would have told me that, and I would have thought you are crazy. There's something different. It's very, very different. That closeness with Jesus inspires me to connect with him in prayer, and it inspires me to do what it takes to disciple other people so that they also will have the opportunity to be that close with him. You see how those are connected? <laughs> do you see how they're connected? I'm trying to illustrate that right out of my own little story in my own life i can see looking back on my life how those were connected and when i lacked in one i actually lacked in the other so now i need to ask for your permission may i speak straightforwardly for a little bit perfect i heard like Three yeses, and that's enough to speak for everybody, okay? I'm just going to speak very straightforward here for a little bit. If you're not discipling others, it's very easy to justify getting lazy in your time with Jesus because you deceive yourself into thinking that there's no consequence. But there is a consequence. And the consequence isn't just in the others that will miss out on knowing Jesus. But the consequence is also for you personally. Because the reality is that some people won't get into heaven 
because they have been faking a relationship with Jesus. You can read about that in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. But let me add to that. What if this church was destroyed within a few years? Yeah, I don't think the buildings would still be standing here, but what if we just weren't allowed to meet here anymore? And by the way, that could totally happen. What if there was no pastor to preach on Sunday morning? What if there was no worship band to lead you in worship? What if there was no elders in the church to set a direction? And suppose you were just limited to yourself and maybe you found one more brave family that was willing to meet secretly with you together. Who leads that? You do. And do you think that in that moment, you would appreciate having spent years connected closely with Jesus to prepare you for that time? Because when that time comes, you will not be able to lead others to a place where you are not. And if you're thinking, okay, settle down, Milan. <laughs> that sounds a bit morbid. Okay, let's start with a gentler challenge. Or, sorry, continue. Continue with a gentler challenge. We, in Pansy Chapel, always need Sunday school teachers. Youth leaders. Like, we have a vacant position right now. Bible study group leader. Do you think it, uh, do you, would you like it? If the leader of your group or one of those ministries was connected to Jesus in a very real and relevant way and there was fruit in that person's life, if you were part of that person's group, do you think you would notice the difference? A leader can fake it for a little while, but if they're not connected, they'll notice. And what if you're supposed to be that leader? Spending time with Jesus is worth it just because he's Jesus. But I'm going to build on that. It's also necessary to have a relational authority for ministry. Okay, I want to explain that a little bit. You can have positional authority, and you can have relational authority. If you're a believer in Jesus, if you've confessed to Jesus and acknowledged with your mouth, Jesus, I believe that you died on that cross, and I believe that then three days later you were buried and then you rose to life again, and I want, I've asked you to be my Lord and Savior. That's how you begin to become a Christian. If you've done, at the moment you've done that, you have a positional authority as a Christian. If you died after that moment, you actually were guaranteed to go to heaven to be with Jesus and other Christians. That's your position. But in addition to that, there's times in ministry when you need to have a relational authority that comes from being in such a close relationship with Jesus that you become known in the spiritual world, which is not separate from the physical world. Those are intertwined. And that's important to have for ministry. 
And that, only, that relational authority only comes to those who are closely connected to Jesus. It's like when you, are cl- you, when you are walking in a close relationship with Jesus, and it's real, and you're abiding and remaining in him, and his words are in you, and you're feeding on them, and you have that passion that comes from knowing him personally, encountering his Holy Spirit, it's like you become known in the spirit world as someone who has authority. The seven sons of Sceva in Acts 19 found out because they were trying to cast out demons in the name of Jesus. Until all of a sudden one day some demons said, hold on a second. We know about Paul. He's known. We know about Jesus. Who are you? That is a fascinating story. They ended up running out of that house naked and bleeding because they didn't have relational authority. Sometimes, if I'm honest, I get frustrated when people that I want so badly to come to know Jesus in this close way, they simply won't come. I get frustrated, and it makes me sad because I've been there, and I would hate for someone to do what I did and wait for many years before they just humble themselves before Jesus and encounter him. That's why we offer the Hearing God course in church, where we learn to discern what God's voice sounds like. And we preach openly about learning to discern his voice. It's life-giving, it's life-changing. And we desire for Christians to be self-feeding Christians, that they're not only dependent on what gets said here on Sunday mornings, but they're actually walking so close with Jesus from Monday to Saturday that they come to church full. And it just spills over. That's what we desire. And we desire that they have such a connection in their small groups that they're, they're growing and learning together with others during the week and then come to church and that spills over. This is why we encourage our Bible study groups to use the way material because it puts these ideas into practice and the way material gives an easy way for a person to begin leading others and doing the same. But not everyone is in a place to use the way material. Nor is the way material the only method to closeness with Jesus. So we encourage every small group leader in the church, in whatever material they feel the Lord is asking them to use, some are studying a book of the Bible, just smorping his word, if you will. Some are using other material that is godly, biblically based to coach their groups. And we're encouraging whatever material you're using, listen for God's voice and put it into practice both at the weekly meeting and in your personal time with the Lord. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Because those concepts are important regardless what material you're using. However, just as my little story of my life showed, I've spent many years in a place with Jesus where my abiding in him was not very evident. And it's not a coincidence that the fruit that was in my life was minimal at the same time. On top of that, the elders in this church 
and myself, we realize that nobody ever abides perfectly. You get that? <laughs> man, I'll look back in my walk with Jesus and I'm like, man, have I grown. Like, honestly, I'm excited about it. But then I realize, wow, I've got a long ways to go. Because nobody abides perfectly. Brings me to story number two of how I failed miserably. About four years ago, if you're good at doing math, and you went 46, 35, yeah, okay. Um, about four years ago, I'm well into this season in my life where I love listening for the Lord's voice and just spending long times in prayer. And if that sounds boring to you, take me up on it. Come and pray with me. Serious. But anyways, I'm well into the season of my life where I, where I just love my relationship with the Lord and it has become vibrant and passionate. And I'd had some powerful encounters with God in that regard already. And I met a like-minded brother of mine, uh, like a Christian man, and I got together with him for prayer. And we met at his church, which is a church in the close area. We met at his church, and we went into one of the side rooms to pray. We sat down, and we just started talking. And something happened that was unusual. There were not very many people in the church because we met during the week. But he and I were alone in that side room and we started praying and something happened that was very unusual. I got this overwhelming sensation that we needed to pray. Like right now. And, but he was talking and I realized this burden is strong. And I actually said, I risked being a bit rude to my friend and I said, be quiet, we need to pray now. And that had never happened to me before, but as we began to pray, I started weeping. It felt to me like Jesus was standing right there in the room with us. And I knelt on the floor, I didn't know what else to do. I think my hands were up on the chair. I don't know if I had my head in my hands or whatever, but I was like literally sobbing. And then another unusual thing happened, something that I have never experienced before then or since then. The presence of God was so real. And in my burden to pray, it's a little bit hard for me to describe, but something was rising in my stomach. Almost in the way that when you throw up, when you're nauseous, you're not trying to throw up. It just happens. And you can feel it coming. Right? It gives you usually enough time to get to the toilet. Right? In this case, the, the similar thing was happening, but I wasn't nauseous at all. In fact, I felt absolutely amazing. But something was rising in my stomach, and it was about to come spilling out of my mouth, and I realized what it was. It was like there was going to be a flurry of words that were going to come out in praise of God. And I knew right in that moment I was about to start speaking in tongues. But right in that second, when I knew what that was, and I knew what was about to happen, I had this distinct thought come through my mind. I wonder if the elders of this church are in the building, and I, what if they hear me praying in tongues? What will they think? 
just like that. The praises of God that were about to spill out of my mouth in a new language were gone. And that presence of God that had made me just weep for whatever reason was gone. The room suddenly felt very normal. And I immediately felt regret and I asked the Lord's forgiveness for fearing people instead of him. And I begged him to return in the powerful way that he had just been there. But it seemed quiet, empty. My friend and I kept on praying, but it wasn't the same. It was an opportunity that I had missed. I had just offended and quenched the Holy Spirit. I have prayed many times since then that my quenching of the Holy Spirit would not stop me from making disciples and it would not stop me from having a close fellowship with Jesus. And God in His graciousness has allowed me to have many precious times with Jesus in prayer since then. And I have prayed many times since then that God would allow me to have the gift of tongues. Because I don't, you might be wondering, why would you want that so bad? And I just sometimes, when I praise God and thank Him for how good He is, it just feels so flat to say thanks. And I wish I could just pour out the praise without any restriction of language. Because I can't find the right English words. And that's what I desire. And I have prayed many times. I have said sorry many times for quenching the Holy Spirit. And I have asked him many times, could I have that gift that you were going to give me and I quenched? <laughs> I, I'll, I'll be very honest with you guys. I don't have it yet. I was, if I'm really honest with you guys, I was hoping <laughs> that it was going to happen last night. And it didn't. Yet. So there you have it. Two failures. First, years of being focused on having clean fun and then make uh, uh, more, uh, more of a focus on having clean fun than making disciples. And I actually wonder if there's maybe people in that are listening, that are in that place right now. And if you are, I get where you are. You're probably consoling yourself with this, your own steadfastness and your own determination to continue to believe, but there is very little fruit in your life. And although you might gain some knowledge and information about God in the Bible, it is not really translating into a passion for Jesus or a dependence on the Holy Spirit and there's very little enthusiasm in you to disciple other people. In fact, that thought seems a little bit radical to me. Because it did to me. And here's the thing. I thought I was doing enough good things. But in hindsight, I was missing out on the life and the vibrancy that comes from the Holy Spirit and His spiritual gifts. I didn't understand them. There's actually still mysteries to His spiritual gifts that I don't understand. I don't think we ever will fully. Secondly, although I learned to love God's voice and have precious times with Him, when given the opportunity to encounter the Holy Spirit and His gifts, I resisted. 
Why do I share these stories? I want to encourage you to not wait any longer to abide in Jesus. He loves you way more than you could ever imagine. He loves you way more than anybody can ever communicate to you in English. He wants you to know him personally. And I want to encourage you if you feel like you're not good enough, or maybe you're like me, you've resisted the Holy Spirit. What should we do if we're in a place like that? First of all, I want to assure you of something. The story isn't over. There's kind of three parts that we're going to do. I'm going to encourage you with something else here first, but there's kind of, we're going to, later we're going to close with this prayer. I think it would be, if you're in a place like that, like I have been and sometimes still am in that place, if there's sin in my life, I should just confess it, repent of it. And then I should just ask the Lord to keep on using me despite my failure. And then we're going to do what this slide kind of uh, shows as a bit of a map. We're just going to say, Jesus, I just want to know you. I want to abide in you, remain in you. I want to be like that branch plugged in. So that you would bear fruit in my life. That it would show up in my character, but not only in me, but that it would actually spill into other people. So that there would be a multiplication effect and more disciples made. That's how we're going to close in prayer. But let me encourage you with this thought about the Apostle Peter. He's one of the guys that followed Jesus. One of his 12 closest followers. His story is written in this book. He was a fisherman who turned into a disciple of Jesus. A student of Jesus. And Peter, while he was following Jesus, had some amazing encounters with God. For instance, he identified Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ, the one Emmanuel, the one that God would send so that God would be with us. And Jesus told him, that was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. Peter heard God speak to him. That's how he knew that. I don't even know if Peter recognized that it was God who had spoken to him, but Jesus said, you would not have known that unless God had shown it to you. Isn't that awesome? And then there came this moment where he had a chance to identify with Jesus publicly. But he also gave in to fear of man, fear of people, a bit like I did. And he denied Jesus. And then the rooster crowed. But the story isn't over. He's still an apostle. That's the powerful truth. Amen? Think about it. He's still an apostle. In fact, in Luke 24, Jesus would come to his disciples after he died and rose again. He met his disciples in person... And he opened up their minds so that they would understand the Old Testament scriptures to see that all of those Old Testament scriptures were actually talking about Jesus. They were talking about him. You know what's really amazing? Peter was one of those 11. And Jesus loved him so much that he came to him and said, 
I'm going to open up your mind too so that you can understand even after Peter denied him. Isn't that a gracious God? <laughs> Come on, the story isn't over. And if you fast forward, Peter will actually get filled with the Spirit many times. And it's going to result in things like God giving him like the, the perfect word in the moment. Or an incredible boldness to speak. And sometimes he's so filled with the Holy Spirit that he would even do miracles. Can you imagine that? That is the same Peter who denied Jesus. Peter even goes on to become this incredibly faithful disciple where he is abiding in Jesus, remaining in him, loving to spend amazing times in prayer. One of those stories is in Acts chapter 10. And it's this story where Cornelius the Gentile is told by the Lord in prayer time to go over and find this guy named Peter, the Jew, to come over. And he's going to tell you, he's going to tell you and all the Gentiles about Jesus. It's not a coincidence that when this happens, where's Peter? He's praying. And he is lost in prayer. And God speaks to him so powerfully through this prayer time that he begins to realize something new out of Scripture that has been there the entire time and he's never seen before. And he now realizes how true it is that, that God accepts people of all nations, not just Jews. And it's no coincidence that that thought came to Peter while he was in prayer. It was while he was abiding and remaining in Jesus that that understanding of Scripture came. That's not a coincidence. Because that's what happens when you abide and remain. And Peter goes on to bear fruit. And it's not only in his own life, but it's also in multiplication. And we get to see that because his Holy Spirit-inspired letters are recorded in this book that he wrote to others in an effort to multiply the life that was in, happening in his own life. And I am so thankful that God let Peter abide in him and God let Peter encounter the Holy Spirit in that kind of real way even after Peter denied him. That has really become precious to me. And I'm really thankful that God would let Peter be used for multiplication and making more disciples even after he denied Jesus. That gives me a lot of hope, actually. And I wonder, <laughs> this, this could be a sermon for me. You guys just get to listen. That could be. But I'll tell you what this makes me want to do. I'm going to close in a prayer. I'm going to confess sin. And just so you know, I've confessed this so many times. Or actually, you only need to confess sin once. I just want to be, I just want to clarify. You don't have to confess sin over and over and over. It's the same one, unless you're doing it over. But I want to lead you in a prayer like this, because it's important that if there is unconfessed sin in your life, you need to pray and just acknowledge it before God and say, God, this is sin. And then Repent of it and just say, I don't want to do that anymore. Turn away from that. 
And then secondly, we're just going to ask God to use us in spite of our failings. That's what I'm going to ask him to do for me. And then I'm going to try to describe to Jesus that this, right here on the screen, that's what I want. I want to abide in him, remain in him. I want to stay plugged into the vine so that there's going to be this transformation happening in my life. And there's going to be fruit, not only in my character, but that it's going to spill over so that I can make other disciples for Jesus. If that is a prayer that would resonate with you, and you're thinking, man, I kind of would like to pray that prayer myself. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite you. I'm going to close my eyes. I can't see uh, who, who's doing this. And I'm going to invite everyone in here to close your eyes right now. And then if this prayer that I've just described is something that you think, man, I would, I would actually like to pray that prayer too. I'm just going to invite you right on your, on your knees, like on your lap. Just open up your hands. And that'll just be a symbol between you and Jesus that you desire to be part of this prayer too. And then right at the end of the prayer, I'm going to invite you to say amen. That just means I agree with what was said. Okay? Let's pray. Jesus, I want to confess that I have had many sins in my life, including the sin of fear of people over a fear of you. And I have let that interfere with experiencing you. And I confess that as sin. I ask for your forgiveness for that. And I desire to turn in a different direction and not let that hinder me anymore. And Jesus, I want you to use me. I want to know you, Lord. I want to become one of these people that is plugged in and abides in you and actually gets life from being plugged into you. And I pray that that would begin to transform my life, that there would be fruit in my life, that it, that fruit would show up in my character, in my love, in my joy, in my self-control, even in things like my patience. I pray that it would show up in my life, Lord, that I would begin to become more like you in that regard. And I also pray that some of that fruit would be a passion to want to reach out so that other people would be able to find that same source of life that comes from you. Jesus, with open hands, I just ask that you would do this in my life. In your precious and holy name, Jesus, we pray. And anyone who agreed with that said, Amen.